Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I'm Haig Balian. I'm with Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider. He is also the author of Sporting Superpower. You should get that book on Amazon right now. Mark, you look like you're ready for a holiday. Uh, hey, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You just said, okay, so you just came back from a podcast. And yesterday I was reading the New York Times, a column by Andrew K, Andrew K, and of course you pop up there. You were you popped up on MSNBC yesterday as well. Is there any outfit that you aren't on right now? I haven't yet been on Newsmax, but I'm working on it. But for this show, Mark, this is a topic we've kind of not. I wouldn't say we've avoided it, but we haven't talked about Valieva at all. I mean, this just broke last week yeah. anyway. You can't avoid it now. You can't because it's reached another level this week. You know, when the when the court of arbitration in sport ruled that she could still compete at the Olympics despite testing positive for a banned substance. It's a huge story. Everybody's talking about it. Has it ruined the games? It's a great question. Um, you know, if if you're the Chinese organizers, um, you know, I, I was asked many times, what does success mean for China at these games? You know, one is is controlling COVID. Two is doing pretty well in the medals tables. Those two you know, big green ticks. The third one is avoiding some sort of big scandal. Now, of course, we were thinking some sort of big diplomatic incident, human rights, Xinjiang-related sensitivities. This was not on the radar. Now, China's done nothing wrong here. There's nothing to connect to China. But I'll give you one example. Just as Sui Ming won his gold yesterday, which should have been a crowning moment, at the same time on Twitter, news was breaking about, you know, her legal team, Valieva's legal team, was saying uh, that she had taken her... Uh, grandfather's medication by mistake. So this is very much overshadowing sporting success for China, at least globally. I think the conversation within China is is very, very different. I watched the uh, the single skates last night on CCTV. Mm-hmm. There was no mention whatsoever of, of any kind of doping incident. There were cheers from the crowd. Again, hard to know. There's not that many people there and, and hard to know exactly what the audio channels are doing and, and what they're picking up. But uh, Basically, it was just like, she's a great skater and, and la-di-da, we got our fingers in our ears, nothing else going on here. So different narratives, but I do think from a global perspective, this is the biggest story. It's in the news cycle right now, which is bigger globally than than the sports cycle. And so it's overshadowed from that perspective. Okay, but Mark, they, everyone's talking about Valieva. Yeah. But you know what they're not talking about? 
They're not talking about the things that China doesn't want them to talk about. And this was the thesis in that AP article by Stephen Wade, right? You know, he argued that for China, the value of a mess is actually not that terrible because everybody is talking about it and they're not talking about anything else. So it's a valid thesis. I disagree with it. Number one, it's not an either or. It doesn't mean if they weren't talking about Valieva, they had to be talking about Xinjiang human rights. For me, we see it at every single games. It's always negative, 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 negative. Then opening ceremony, wow, bombarded with positive sporting stories. And there's so many human interest stories, whether it's Lindsay Jacobellis, who's 36, and you know the other guy who's 40, and these two you know, gra- grandparents are w- winning gold for the Americans in Snowball <laughs> Cross. They're, they're, they're or or you know, the, the Dutch, and they're, and they're paying tribute to their, to their teammate who, who sadly passed away recently. Whether it's China's sporting success, everywhere you look, there is stuff. And, and so that's, I think, a big reason why China wanted these games. So it was a worry for sure that people were talking about it, but it doesn't mean without Valieva that they would have been. You know, another thing that just occurred to me is that, you know, that thesis sort of hinges on the expectation that China actually cares what the rest of the world yeah. is talking about. That and I'm not sure question. I've seen yeah. and I'm not sure I've seen that much evidence from this Olympics anyway that they do. Yeah, it's it's always the question. How much does really uh, does China care about what the rest of the world thinks? How much is it just tailored towards a domestic audience? And and it's very hard, I think, for globally for people to understand, you know, that there's completely different conversations going on uh, in parallel at the same time. It's I'm a little bit out of my depth in that conversation, to be honest. Like that's a that's a huge that's a huge conversation that goes way, way, way beyond sport. I, I mean, from a pure sporting perspective, the Valieva thing is farcical, right? Objectively, she's tested positive, and all the organizations are, are, are suggesting as strongly as they can that she's going to be found guilty further down the line. They just can't prosecute her today. But it is a mess because the emotions involved, particularly of all the nations, who's it going to be? Russia, but we're supposed to be calling them the Russian Olympic Committee, just as we were supposed to be calling them the Olympic athletes from Russia. I mean, how many chances are they going to get for doing the same thing? There's no penalties. They shouldn't be here is a very convincing argument, I think. So, you know, I, I on one hand sort of think, well, she's 15. She was probably most likely told to take this. She had no choice. But if you kick Russia out of the games and penalize them and not allow them to be here, then she wouldn't be here on, on that basis anyway. So she is collateral damage. I, I've sort of, you know, changed my mind on that to a certain extent. I was like, well, no, you're penalizing her to kick her out uh, more than you're penalizing the country. But if you penalize the country, she wouldn't be here anyway. So mm. <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. At the same time, Mark, China's having a pretty good Olympic game yes. so far. Uh, we're going to talk to Simon Gleave later. He is the guy behind Grace Note Sports uh, Medal Predictions. We talked about that a lot during the Tokyo Olympics, you and I did. Uh, but before the Olympics, Grace Note predicted China would win 13 medals, including six gold. With four days to go, they're already at 12 medals, five gold, including wins by a couple of very, very high profile athletes. Uh, so let's talk about a few of those athletes. One is Xu Mengtao, who won gold in aerials on Monday. And what was cool about this win was that after her run, there was this great reaction from her American rival, Ashley Caldwell. Yeah. So big embrace, you know, I'm super happy for you. Uh, and, and it was really interesting because I watched this live on CCTV5. Now there's different channels that they have and there's different, you know, they have online streaming, then there's Migu people kind of streaming there. And of course you can you can bounce onto other platforms as well. Uh, but on CCTV5, the main sports channel, which the majority of China would still be watching on, but it, it's possibly an older demographic. 
they didn't focus on that at all. I think maybe the first time it was in the, it was in the feed, but you know it wasn't on endless loop. What was on endless loop is I think we saw the performance and the winning run about four times. We saw the reaction about four times. We, you know, all the the tearful interviews. It's like okay, I, it was so good. I was so super happy for it. But at some point, you're like, there's actually other live sports on. You know, can we can yeah. we please move on? <laughs> we see the same medal ceremonies like on endless repeat, and it just. Okay, I know other countries kind of get nationalistic as well, but it's 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 a different level here. But what was interesting is that overnight, this kind of really did the rounds on social media, from my perspective, that the whole like embrace from the the American athlete and what a nice sporting moment. And it was only then that CCTV kind of picked it up and was like, oh, this is a good kind of propaganda story and a good narrative. And it is. We've seen this before. We've seen this like we saw um, gymnasts, uh, US and China in particular, in Tokyo, you know, going back to, to ping pong diplomacy 50 years ago, like th- there are these moments and they are legitimately nice. Um, but I'm also, you know, as soon as they kind of become part of the state narrative, then, uh, you know, you got to start to question it to a certain extent, right? Uh, it happened. Uh, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, all the athletes in particularly in these freestyle and snowboarding sports, they're all friends. They are friends. But so so we're kind of like pretending, oh, look, the two countries can be happy. Well, these guys have been friends for years. They haven't been affected by the geopolitics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're talking about this in, in relation to Eileen Gu as well. Like just because she's changed her allegiances, I guess, from the U.S. Yeah. to China, it doesn't yeah. mean that she's lost her friendships no she's still a lot of the american athletes are all over her instagram posting supportive messages and so on so she's definitely friends from the american side and I haven't heard anything that she's not considered a good teammate uh, over on the chinese side too the last time we spoke about eileen gu yep. was last week after she'd won the big air competition she won the gold medal and afterwards she gave uh, this press conference and reporters asked her a lot of questions a lot of the questions were based on her citizenship she didn't answer a lot of those questions. We talked about this last week. Yeah. Yesterday, she won her second medal, this time a silver and free ski slope style. The conversation about her has changed subtly, I think. Um, how has it changed, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. First of all, just on the sporting, I mean, she's clutch. She is clutch. She was a fraction of a point outside of gold, and it was all again on her final run. So she is a phenomenal athlete. Her best chances are probably in, in half pipe, so there's a good chance that she'll be walking out of these Olympics. Again, she's got to do it, but with two golds and, and a silver, I think it's a real possibility, um, which is obviously phenomenal. That will make her one of the stars of these games globally, not just not just in China. But I am noticing some different narratives. So for example, you know, the, 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 the state media line has very much been, you know, she's great and she's bringing glory to the country and, and all that sort of stuff. Now, who she Jin, interestingly, yeah, yeah. Um, the former editor, now retired of the Global Times, who's known for his uh, nationalist views, now not quite as not quite as extreme as perhaps he was in the past. He wrote a really interesting post. Number one, saying we shouldn't say that uh, she's bringing glory to the country. We should say that, uh, she's bringing glory to Team China. Let's keep it kind of you know within the confines of sporting realm and he basically said and i thought to be honest i actually agreed with him i said he said look we don't know what's going to happen further down the line she's only young she's still kind of growing up she might for example be more american in her feelings in the past and it occurred to me that from eileen gu's perspective when she says i'm chinese when i'm in china and i'm american when i'm in america that works for her that's perfect for her straddling both sides if you're chinese particularly if you're the chinese government you don't want her being american in america you want to be Chinese in America. If she's all in for China, as she 
you know, claims to a certain extent by representing China, why do you want her going to be American on the other side of the fence? That's kind of being two-faced to a certain extent. So I can see how there's a little bit of conflict there. That's one of the narratives. There is another one, which I'll just kind of sum up briefly, where I think the, the younger demographic probably see her as this cool celebrity pop culture fashion type figure. The older demographic, particularly the more privileged, if you will, people who, for example, might have been able to have dual citizenship themselves, they're kind of like, eh, why is she getting this special treatment? We don't really necessarily buy the line that, that, that she's Chinese because she basically acts like an American. And that's a narrative that's not getting a whole lot of uh, media play for, for obvious reasons. There have been articles that have been since censored and deleted from the Chinese internet sort of uh, arguing that point of view. And I think it's really interesting. It's n just in China, there's, there's many, many different points of view on this. And then, of course, globally, too. One of the things that I've realized and sort of noticed by being here talking about the Olympics is that during the Olympics, everything that happens here is just so intense and yeah. it's intensified. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is a conversation that we're having right now. She's in star, stark focus. Let's see what happens in the next couple of years. What's really interesting for me is this is just the beginning of her story. Yeah. She's 18. She's got a long way to go should she choose to, to, to still be competing. Right now, the marriage between her and China seems to be generally working. But things could go wrong. Both sides could potentially change their mind. You know, there will be bumps in the road. And it will be very interesting to see kind of how she handles that. Well, she has 35 million reasons to handle it. <laughs> and presumably well. more and now more. she's got Olympic gold. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gu's teammate, Su Yiming, uh, he won gold at Big Air Shogang. He's, he's 17 years old right yeah. now. He'll love, be 18. Love this guy. He'll be 18 on Friday. Yeah. He's the youngest ever Chinese athlete to win gold at a Winter Olympics. I don't really know what to say about this, except that all these cool young athletes doing cool things in China, that's kind of what they, the organizers wanted. Yes. He was not on the radar, um, generally speaking, six months ago because he just really hadn't performed in... He was too young to have come, uh, performed at the top level. He um, blasted onto people's radar a couple of months ago. He won a big A competition in the US and then he was seen as, as you know, one of the contenders. But it's it's a competitive sport. He now has the world, world at his feet um, in his discipline right now. He comes across as just so sincere. He's humble. He's taking, you know, he's thankful for his success. He's cool. He's got style. Obviously, he's just a phenomenal athlete. He's a snowboarder doing snowboarding things. And I love that. I, I would love to see China really embrace him and let him be who he is. I fear, however, that they're going to be like, you know, uh, cut your hair, stop swearing, you know, his F-bombs when it's just like raw emotion when he gets a, when he, when he nails a great score, he's like, what the f***? Like, yeah. people love that. But yeah, I can see how Team China doesn't necessarily like that look, particularly because it's in English as well. The, wait, does he have any tattoos? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. He's always covered in heavy winter clothing. So uh, don't know at that okay, moment. Okay, so no, no face tattoos. I loved your name, though, for this access. What, what access? What was it again? I mean, this week, the, the big stars have been Gu Su Xu, right? So Xu Meng Tao is the last one. And she is the uh, female aerial skier. I mean, I was in Vancouver uh, 2010 covering those Olympics. And she was, a, she was a contender then 12 years ago. She came sixth. Then she came back in Sochi, uh, got silver medal, which was phenomenal. Kept going. Ninth four years ago, kept going. And then gold. I mean, what a story. And I think 
What's really resonated amongst a certain section of Chinese society is, is her story because she comes from very humble beginnings. She was, you know, recruited into the system as a gymnast, converted into an aerials athlete, and she's just, you know, the 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 screaming that she did, like pure joy and emotion, like I'm number one, like you know, did I did I really do this type thing? Just the the shock and disbelief on her face, um, that is that in itself was was something to behold. You look at the other two, Sui Ming and 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 Gu Ailing, Ailing Gu, and you know they 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 both come from they're both pretty privileged. You know we know all about Ailing Gu. Sui Ming was a was a child model, child like, actor, like like yeah. you know, but like that's that's fine. That's not their fault. But you know it's a different. You know their story resonates in different ways. Probably resonates much more strongly with a younger demographic who see those two as young and cool and hip and stylish. But I think if you're kind of older, you're probably more proud from a sort of deep-seated yeah. Chinese perspective about someone like Xu Mingtao, who's, wow, has she ever given her soul to the country and has finally been rewarded with gold? Hey, one more thing about Su Ming. Did he give an interview in English after his win? <laughs> well, he's, uh, he, Did, speaks, he speaks fluent English, yeah, right? But you know who else speaks fluent English? Yeah. Kim Newell, yes. the goalie for the Chinese team, who could not give... Her interview last week, and if you missed this, we talked about this last week when the goalie for the Chinese team, who speaks English fluently, was not allowed to, to answer a question in English. Uh, <laughs> to correct a translator. Exactly. Amazing. Brilliant. One more thing we should talk about before we get to our interview, Mark, is that the journey for the men's and women's hockey teams, so the Chinese hockey teams, are now over. Yeah. The Chinese team lost their play-in match, I think it was, against Canada 7-2. to two yes which is not bad which is good it's a good ending right i watched the game they play well they really did i mean it was 2-1 after the first and honestly they could have been leading they had chances they had a number of good breakaways canada was all over the place um i had said that going into the game honestly if they could score against canada in this game which obviously was an elimination game in the way that when they played canada two days previously it was it was a dead rubber, effectively, for the group. To score one goal against Canada would be considered a success. They they scored two. They gave them a good game. They really did. So I think they had a campaign to be proud of. Now, you know, let's give them some time to, to let the dust settle. Really interesting to know what happens. I think their season is over because the KHL will go straight to the playoffs. And, of course, they're buried at the bottom of the league. So they're not in the playoffs. So what happens next and who's funding this journey? Like Kunlun Red Star doesn't have this Olympics to aim for. And so we're going to go back to this disagreement perhaps between the Kunlun and the Chinese Ice Hockey Association. These foreigners, not all of them have contracts beyond the, um, you know, the foreign born players have contracts beyond the, um, beyond this season. So I know that at least on the women's side, the plan is for some of these heritage players to, to continue with Team China for the next Olympic cycle at least. But again, the attention is going to move on from the Olympics and and who is funding this. I don't see a business uh, success case for professional hockey in China right now. And it's pretty expensive for them to be playing in, in Russia if uh, if the government's not funding that. Yeah, that's a good point. They, they can't even play in Beijing. If the KHL team could at least play in Beijing, that might be a different story. Yeah, but with the quarantine rules, which are definitely staying in place through next season, or at least the first half of the next KHL season, that's not going to happen. Let's get to our guest. Simon Glebe is the head of sports analysis at Nielsen Grace Note. Simon, thanks for being here. You're welcome. I, I'd like to be here. Thank you. First of all, what does a head of sports analysis do? 
Well, I work for a, a sports data company or a data company on the sports side. And we obviously have a huge database of, uh, of, of sports information, which we collect live. And the business is basically delivering that information live to, uh, to media companies and other sorts of uh, uh, clients around the world. But then when you have this huge lot of data, you can do other things with it as well. So uh, my job is to try and find ways of doing different things with uh, with all of this data that we have in the database, which in some cases, certainly with the Olympics, goes back uh, for the entire history of, uh, of the Games. Your work first caught my eye just before the Tokyo Olympics with your virtual medals, uh, basically your predictions about what was going to happen, who was going to win medals in the Olympics. Now, the Beijing Olympics are the second pandemic Olympics, and hopefully they're going to be the last Olympics. What did you learn from Tokyo that you've adapted for Beijing? Yeah, actually, we had to make a lot of uh, guesswork going into the Tokyo Olympics about, you know, what's how this works with uh, with the data that's missing, what how we should adjust things, etc. And as it turned out, that worked relatively well. Uh, one of the big things with the but with the Tokyo Olympics was that uh, we weren't sure how home advantage would work. We have a home advantage uh, factor within this model. So we just stuck to what we usually did and it was okay. So uh, we got Japan pretty close to uh, to their number of medals and their number of gold medals based on, uh, on what we had. Uh, one of the differences this time, thankfully, is that uh, we don't have a section just before the Olympics, which is missing which we did with Tokyo. So we, we have uh, the winter sports season of 2020-2021 is where there's data missing. But we have the 2021-2022 section, which is important because the most recent results um, are the most important thing in the model, apart from uh, you know the very big competitions like World Championships. So uh, we haven't had to do too much. Um, the only things we really did with this to, to, mess, to change it um, were with competitions where, like World Championships, where there was a where, where there wasn't a full field. We did that for Tokyo as well. So um, the World Short Track Championships last year, for example, only had a handful of countries taking part, and none of the Asian athletes took part. So we downgraded what that's usually worth, because otherwise it would have just suggested that all of the medals go to you know the Dutch, the Italians the Hungarians, that sort of thing. So we had to make some small adjustments, but it wasn't too much. And at least this time we have the data from the current World Cup season, which uh, was the big problem with Tokyo. How much is there like an X factor, particularly for China? Um, and when we look at these winter games, there's so many athletes who are competing for the first time. They just haven't been on the radar. I mean, you've got someone like Sui Ming who just won a gold medal. Now, from his age point of view, you know, he were, you know, that probably happens in other countries as well. But, you know, some of these completely under the radar athletes, do you just sort of throw in a, a, an extra factor for that? Or, or do you have to kind of screen them out and, and give them to only the people that you really can, can, can track? Yeah, the model works on data. So we use data and everything else is guesswork. So if we just decided, okay, Su Yu Ming is 17, he's Chinese, it'd probably do quite well. You know, that's just guessing. <laughs> right. So it's, uh, it's not really a good idea. Um, so we, uh, so no, we don't do that. And it is, it is obviously, uh, you know, an issue, but it's something that you can't do anything about. And as you say, it's the same with people from other countries. You know, 
in the end, you just regard them as uh, surprise surprises to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, I've looked at the betting odds going into this as well. And Su Yuming wasn't in the top three of the betting odds for the two events that he's won medals in. So <laughs> I think they're doing the same sort of thing. So I think we can regard him as uh, as being a surprise of sorts in any case. And and just on that, like like how much is data? How much is is kind of guesswork? Or just just that uncertainty, unpredictability that that no data could could predict accurately. Yeah, no, it's all. I mean, our model is all data, and that does a pretty good job of forecasting the final medal table. So we get pretty close on most of the countries. Um, there are always exceptions, and I think, given how good this model is, or how good we think it is, I think we can regard the exceptions as underperforming or overperforming for whatever reason. So uh, Norway, for example, we did have them pretty high. It looks like they're still going to take the gold medal record anyway, um, and they are going to finish top of the medal table. But uh, you know, they, they're, they're on less, or they're, they're, they're now forecast to get less medals, fewer medals than uh, we originally said. Germany is an interesting one. Germany is underperforming as they appear to do at every Olympics. <laughs> That's something which uh, I'm thinking of perhaps doing some doing something about next time, assuming that they won't. Um, reach the levels that they have, so a sort of reverse factor in terms of in terms of yeah, think of the home advantage for example, the home advantage factor that we do where we boost a country. So this would be the reverse of that, um, where we downgrade a country because they consistently underperform at, uh, at Olympic Games. Wow! So so you you would really like next Olympics, even if say Germany performs really well coming into the Olympics, you you might just sort of take a look at their past yeah. results and say, well. It's something to consider because the fact is that they do this at every single Olympics. So if that's the case, then there's something. Yeah, happening. absolutely. That's so interesting. Um, Germany is the most. Germany is the, uh, the the most extreme in this in this case. I don't think I, I've ever come across anything any other country that has done this at uh, every Olympics we've done this for. So we've been doing this since 2012. So this is the what the sixth 2012, 14, 16, 18. Yeah. Yeah, six Olympics we've done this at. So, you know, when you're underperforming the, the, the data six Olympics in a row, um, <laughs> then there's something happening because that shouldn't be the case. It should be, you know, it should bounce about, really. Simon, what kind of trends have you noticed um, either over the last, you know, 12 months with these last two games or just more uh, longer term, specifically with reference to China? One of the main things is what China's winning medals in. So, I understand, as far as I understand it, there's been a lot of investment in all sorts of sports for before this Winter Olympics in China. So, you know, sports that they would normally not actually perform in. The, 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 the sorts of sports that, are domi- that tend to be dominated by the Europeans, like cross-country skiing or biathlon and, and these sorts of sports. But that hasn't actually uh, produced anything at this Games. So, in fact, China is doing well in the sports that it's always done well in pretty much. With the exception of snowboarding, where the first medal in snowboarding, I think, was won in 2018. And now there's obviously a few more. You know, China's, China's won 74 Winter Olympic medals at this point. There's probably a few more to come uh, at these Games. And 72 of them have been in short track, freestyle skiing, speed skating, figure skating and snowboarding. And that's, con- that's continued this time around. The only exception to this is skeleton. And skeleton's an interesting sport because we know from previous Olympics that there is a big advantage to, to for the home nation on the sliding track. So skeleton, bobsleigh and luge. We've seen this with, pre, with countries previously, yeah, notably 
Korea, who also uh, also came from nowhere and won medals in uh, in these sorts of sports last time around. China has won a medal in in its skeleton, a, a bronze medal this time around in the in the men's, but uh, nothing in the in the other ones. But that's almost certainly down to the effects of the of, of being the, the host nation, therefore knowing the track better than anybody else. Obviously, you have to develop somebody who is at a at a decent level in order to turn that from you know a, a top ten place into uh, into a medal. And in the case of Yang Wengang, um, he was ranked twelfth in that event on our podium rankings that we have, which is another type of model. Um, the, his best rank this season was eighth in seven events, and his best result ever was seventh. And then he went and won the bronze. So there you can see. That's the effect of, of that home advantage. And having ridden that track, I think, 400 times in comparison to the 40 times everybody else uh, everybody else had done. But, you know, that's probably not a sustainable thing. <laughs> the, you know, the Korea, you've seen it with the Koreans this time. They haven't, uh, they haven't won medals in bobsleigh or skeleton this time around. And, uh, you know, the chances that China can sustain this in this particular sport with the competition that's out there is probably quite small. So it's... It's all about those sports that China's tended to be good at um, at the Olympics before. And, uh, you know, the other ones, there's nothing's really, you know, nothing's changed this time around. Whether anything would change in the long term is is a big question. Really. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things we've been talking about. You know, obviously it hopes to target some of these other sports and, you know, biathlon and cross country. They're miles away right now, but China would see them as potentially less competitive just because the number of nations that, that are in there. Out of interest, we were kind of looking at, at another uh, skeleton athlete, Gung Wen Chiang, who, had, who you, I'm sure you saw had, had won that World Cup, you know, the three-way tie with, the, with a German and a Brit just a couple of months ago. And he was being touted by Chinese media as, as potentially the breakthrough star. Um, and then, <laughs> then he wasn't, and then he was dropped in the early rankings. Was was he presumably he was higher up, up your rankings than than Yen, who won the who won the medal? A little bit higher, but not much. He was eighth, so uh, four places higher. I'd be very interested in what the in what the selection criteria here was because obviously this was a bit of a shock to me as well. I understand from people who know this sport better than me that the two who were selected were very, very fast starters, which is obviously very, very crucial skill in this particular sport. So maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, yeah, to have uh, to have the person who looks like the best on the World Cup circuit not selected is uh, is quite strange. Yeah, it was definitely a, a bit of a surprise. I mean, I think going back, I mean, Simon, I've been following the, you know, the virtual medal table for, a, I think, probably as far back as, as 2014. Um, and it's 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 fascinating. Like I love the predictions. I love how it changes over the years as well. Obviously, this is kind of like you know anyone can go on the website and access this. But um, I, we were just kind of discussing like who else sort of uses this. What what's the other data that that potentially you know the data behind the data that's not available for free? Like like do teams tap into this to get kind of insights on their competitors? Or maybe more insights about themselves. Like, what what are some of the paid services that that um, and and who would access those as well? Yeah, we work with uh, with various international sports authorities around the world. Um, I can't say much about who, but uh, <laughs> there's in excess of twenty five at this point, um, and yeah, they they buy data from us and uh, and insights from us. I mean, we have uh, we have a, a product called Podium 
which they uh, which they use, we can also deliver uh, data feeds to uh, to them to do so that they can set up their own uh, their own models, their own insights themselves, rather than taking our uh, sort of off the shelf product. And you know what what we produce here, the virtual metal table, is just one of the uh, models that we that we have. We I mentioned something called podium rankings earlier on in this interview, which is a more sophisticated way of, uh, of ranking athletes than, than what we're doing here. So, uh, so yes, we do, uh, we do work with a variety of different uh, international sports authorities and national sports authorities around the world. Earlier on, you mentioned a surprise was the Norwegian team that has sort of underperformed, but they, while still setting a record for gold medals, have there been any other sort of major surprises that sort of have jumped out to you in this, in this games? Um, well, there's a few, as usual, there's a few countries who are overperforming and a few countries who are underperforming. So, I mean, I can mention the ones where we were yesterday. So, Austria are doing better than uh, than, than, than our original forecast uh, had. Um, Slovenia have done a great deal better. Uh, I know that two of their medals have come from people who we had very lowly ranked. So, that was real surprises. The US, we have, yeah, at the end of yesterday at least, uh, were four medals than we originally had them on at this point. I was, I was just watching the, the ice hockey, and I don't, I don't know if you watch this, Mark, but uh, the US just crashed out of the quarterfinals against uh, Slovakia, which, you know, as a Canadian, it makes me, you know, I, 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 you hate to take glee in somebody else's misfortune. No, you don't. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But that was really fun. Um, I can say something on that, actually. So, um, yeah, the ice hockey was a tricky thing to do because of the lack of NHL players. So uh, we actually used a couple of extra competitions which didn't have complete fields in, admittedly. But they they, they were teams without NHL players. Um, And that changed our forecast. So originally we had Canada first, Russia second, and the United States third. But using this, we downgraded the United States to fifth. So, in fact, you know, going out in the course there you go. is exactly what we said. Wow, that's... that's um, a- and, <laughs> and Canada down to third. Um, and then a final between Russia and, uh, and Finland. That's, uh, so it was Russia, Finland, Canada is what we've uh, got for the one, two, three. So we'll see. It's still, it's possible that that can uh, still happen. So... Uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. Well, and, and, and it's interesting. I mean, all this, it's, it's such a high profile sport, but it's only three, I mean, it's gold, silver and bronze. And that if you're off by on this one, it's, you know, it, it doesn't really affect, I, I don't think the entire thing. That's right. Also, the women's, uh, the women's ice hockey is probably the easiest uh, thing to predict completely correctly. Uh, the only question with women's ice hockey is will Canada win or will the United States win? That's it. And Finland are so far ahead of everybody else theoretically, that, that that's your one, two, three. You know, I'm saying this now before Finland play their semi-final. But, uh, their, sorry, their bronze uh, match. You know, the final is what we said it would be. Finland's in the uh, the bronze match, theoretically wins. Um, so yeah, the women's ice hockey is, uh, is, is one of the easier things to do. I think emotionally sports fans feel that, you know, there's this such thing as, you know, the hot hand in, in, in basketball. So, you know, how teams and countries get on a roll and this sort of the emotional. I remember in, in 2010, Canada had an awful, awful first week and then came back, um, stormed back in the second week and ended up with, a, I think, then a record for, for goals. And it felt like, you know, everyone's kind of drawing off, off the other athletes and support. 
is there any data that supports that? Is that just a sort of an emotional narrative? And, and uh, you know, is there anything that, that would say, well, as a team is overperforming, for example, maybe there's something to that and that reflects forward as well, or it's each individual event taken in isolation and that's how the model would work? Okay, I think your example is a probably a great example of a team right. who just had stronger events in the second week than in the first week, which is the case, for example, with the United States this time around as well. And I think also Switzerland this time around, their stronger events are in the second week and not the first. And I've, uh, I've done this at the 2012 Olympics. I remember there was a, a lot of talk in the British newspapers in the first few days because Britain had won a gold. But in our model, it showed, it showed from the start that Britain were not expected to win a gold until halfway through the first week. So it wasn't actually particularly surprising. Um, obviously, you know, you need, to, you need to write the narratives, of course, but uh, whether they're true or not is another matter. Uh, on your point, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, but I've never done any analysis on it, so I don't know. Uh, the chances are that most of that is what I've just said. So it's uh, stronger events in the second week. And therefore, you know, it looks like it's a, a hot hand situation, but it probably isn't. Um, but I wouldn't write it off completely. I mean, it's always the, there's always that possibility, of course. Perhaps uh, we saw that with Britain in, uh, in the 2012 Olympics. That would be the clearest example. When can we expect China to be uh, topping the Winter Olympic medal table? <laughs> well, with Norway doing what they're doing, I think that's, uh, <laughs> that might be a step too far. I think if, you know, if, if, China can, if China can establish itself as a top five winter sports nation consistency, consistently, that would be an, a, an amazing achievement, I think. Um, winning the, uh, the, the medal table would be, uh, would be just staggering. <laughs> Simon Gleave is the head of sports analysis at Nielsen Grace Note. He joined us from Utrecht, Netherlands. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the show this week. We will be back later this week. Thanks for listening.